All right, welcome to my podcast, and it's an honor and a pleasure to have Aaron O'Toole, a member of Parliament for the for the uh, I was going to say Progressive, but it's the Conservative Party of Canada, and a leadership candidate. Uh, uh, Aaron, welcome, welcome to my show. Great to be with you, Mike. Well, uh, first of all, I, I I'm an animal lover, and I, as we're talking, you're you're with your animal that you love so much. So, who are you walking with? Uh, I am walking our uh, yellow lab, Wexford who is named after an Irish county. And uh, yeah, he's a great dog and it's going to be a hot one today. So we're making sure we get his walk in in the morning when it's not too, uh, not too hot. So that, then we can be sure that if you're elected leader of the party and prime minister of Canada, animal rights is going to be part of your, uh, your portfolio. You've got to make sure that's an issue. Uh, absolutely. You know, the furry members of our family are, uh, are very important. And in, in fact, there was a, a uh, little pet for O'Toole hashtag early in this race uh, when a lot of our uh, supporters were uh, were showing their pet on online. So it was a lot of fun pre-COVID, that is. Interesting. Now, Wikipedia's got it wrong a little bit, but you were you were born in Montreal. They indicate you were there till you were nine. You were only there till till one when your when your dad was transferred. But the reality is, Aaron, you are a native Montrealer. Yes, I'm proud to uh, to have my roots in Montreal. As my uh, father worked at General Motors when they had a plant in Saint Thérèse, and my late mother was a student at Sir George Williams University. And I, I, uh, yeah, we moved when my dad was transferred to the to the large Canadian headquarters for GM in Oshawa. So I grew up in in the Oshawa Bowmanville area after that. Now, uh, right now, of course, you're very busy uh, campaigning uh, to be the leader of the party. How difficult has it been to do this during COVID? You know, it's uh, like like everybody. Uh, our way of life kind of changed and was altered, and uh, that was the same for the leadership race. In fact, I asked uh, – I was one of the ones that called for a delay in the conservative race so that everyone could concentrate on the well-being of their family, their community, as a sitting member of parliament – uh, we were dealing with a lot of cases of families coming back to Canada, businesses and, and people uncertain about the future. So we pivoted. There was a delay in the race, and the, and the race changed from the traditional barnstorming of the country, going to legion halls and, and church basements and meeting people, to Zoom teleconferences, uh, telephone town halls, and social media so we've pivoted and i think we've done it well i ran for leader last time so i can fully compare it uh it's very different than last time but i've actually probably had more interactions with individual members of the party this time than i did last time so so how's this going to work with the ballot i believe it's the end of august that there's going to be a ballot and then we're going to see who the winner is Is that the process yes the ballots will be sent out in the next few weeks and so most people will have received their ballot kind of by mid to to end July, and then they have till about mid-August to mail their ballot in. The ballot has to be received by the Conservative Party before August 21st, which is when they'll start the counting. And it's a preferential ballot, so people can list one through four, and uh, they will have some time to send their ballot. You know, some people will probably send it in right away. Others will will wait and determine and uh, it's mail in like it was last time so there should be should be no challenges and there's enough of a period that if people don't receive their ballot right away they can reach out to the party and inquire about it now your main 
competitor, I would say, uh, would be Peter McKay. Uh, how much an advantage would it be if you win because you're already in Parliament uh, and, and he's not? Is that, is that a factor? I think it is. I think it's actually critical. Um, I'm a sitting MP now, so I'm ready to hold Trudeau to account in the House of Commons in September. It's even more important because the Liberals have suppressed our democracy during this crisis. Parliament has not been sitting properly. In fact, um, it's hardly sat at all when compared to uh, other parliaments and legislatures around the world. And we have a $250 billion deficit. We have uh, the health and, and economic crisis that is COVID. We have a changing world scene with, with China and, and trade disruptions. It's critical for us to hold them to account. And if there is a new, uh, an early election, to have a leader who's in the House ready to go, and I think Mr. McKay is not, and that will cause him uh, a lot of difficulty. We saw what happened with Jagmeet Singh when the NDP didn't have a leader in the House they became irrelevant and ended up losing half their seats in the next next election. So I think it's critical we have someone who's ready to go. Uh, on your website, you talk about the Trudeau legacy with hundreds of billions of dollars in debt. Uh, and, and what do you think of his performance during COVID? Well, they were late at all steps of COVID. Um, you know, the, the health response, they were probably uh, two months late in terms of getting uh, travel stopped and, uh, you know, trips from China and people quarantined. We were calling for that at the end of January, and they didn't do it until mid-March. In fact, Trudeau and his, and his health minister were telling Canadians there was no need to restrict travel, there was no need to close the border, right up until mid-March. And that really allowed the crisis to get much worse. Um, hundreds of more community spread cases got into Canada because there was that slow response and confused response by the Trudeau government. And I think their slow and confused response also extended to the economic crisis. We've seen, we've seen billions spent, but not a focus on preserving jobs. And particularly, a lot of small businesses were left entirely out of the COVID response. And I think we're going to be paying the price for that in the coming years. One of the criticisms I've heard from restaurant owners, for instance, about the CERB is that they can't get their people to come back to work because they're making more money on the CERB. Was that not well thought out enough? Uh, good point, Mike. I think the biggest failure that, uh, of, in the Trudeau government's response has been their rush to set up the CERB and their slow and failed response to actually help small businesses. So what they did, rather than do what the Conservatives asked, we asked for a remittance of GST payments, give all small businesses, including restaurants, some cash flow quickly, remit it, we know who submitted it, and we also then said the business loan, the emergency business account it's called, should be extended to anybody, not set parameters on it, and the wage subsidy should have been at 75% right away. The Liberals first said it at 10%. They had to pass an extra emergency bill. So their response in terms of saving jobs, Mike, was confused and delayed, but they set up the CERB really quickly. So what a lot of businesses did, they just pushed people off onto the CERB. And then the way it was structured for people in the service industry, it actually encouraged people to go on the CERB and not work if there was work available. So it, it was a very, very uh, misguided way to approach things. The CERB should have been a last 
stop program, we should have actually run it all through the EI system so that people would have actually have to show a record of employment and a, a disruption to qualify as opposed to the serve just anybody that applied got it. So it's disrupted the workplace, rife with fraud, and it actually encouraged more jobs to be shed than saved. Uh, now, if you get elected as leader, how do you think you can get uh, some members of parliament from Quebec and, and the greater Montreal area, which can't seem to elect a conservative no matter what, how hard they try? That's going to be something we focus on right away. I have a plan that I put in my platform to actually open a, an office in Quebec, in Montreal, uh, to, to put some full-time organizers on the ground to help ridings uh, recruit their candidate prepare for an election which could could come quickly and to help us be part of the conversation. I think the Conservatives really over the last generation since the Mulroney era haven't been as much of the conversation and things like what what you do with your podcast, The Suburban, we need to be part of the conversation more in Quebec and, and that means more of a of a political and media presence in Montreal and that way when there's issues emerge, we want voters to see that the Conservatives have, uh, have a solution for any issue. We're going to uh, show that we have a plan on the environment or, or whatever issue voters want to see something from us. We need to be part of that dialogue. But Stephen Harper did grow our presence in Quebec, and, but we have to build upon that so that we're not just uh, cobbling together a campaign when the writ is dropped. We have to do the groundwork well in advance of each election. Uh, my final question is, the thing that disturbed me most about the last election was seeing the Bloc Québécois come back, uh, get official party status and then some. Uh, do you believe that the Conservatives can take those seats back with Federalists instead of Separatists in Parliament? I think, yes, there's a lot we can take back. I do think that the Bloc ends up becoming a sort of parking spot for some people's votes if they're not Certainly, they weren't happy with Justin Trudeau, his scandals, and his economic mismanagement. But in the election, um, we kind of lost the trust. And, you know, our leader, Andrew Scheer, had some difficulties in the last campaign. And I think a lot of voters then just parked with the bloc. But the bloc is really a wasted vote in Quebec. They can never, ever deliver anything. And I have seen firsthand, you really just get people occupying spots. There's nobody there really advocating for their community, advocating for economic development or growth. It is a protest party that I think actually holds back Quebec and many parts of, of, uh, of Quebec from having a serious voice in Parliament on the affairs of the nation. So uh, we can't win these votes by default. If the Liberals have a scandal or something, we have to, we have to show that we deserve the vote and that we will stand up for Quebecers, particularly Quebecers with a nationalist um, sort of approach. My platform, I'm going to have more partnership with the provinces, more autonomy for Quebec in areas of, of culture and immigration. And I think some of those nationalist Quebecers are not left-wing like the Bloc is. They actually would be center-right, but we have to appeal to them directly, and that's what we'll try and do before the next election. Well, Aaron, I want to thank you so much for joining me. It was a real pleasure to get to know you, and I want to wish you all the best of luck on the campaign trail. Well, thank you very much. It's been a good chat, and I hope to do it again as leader. Absolutely. I, I, you got a, you got a deal on that one. 
Aaron O'Toole has been my guest. Thank you very much again. Thank you, Mike.